0: You are listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity.
1: Hello and welcome to the 1949th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 5th of October 2023. The editor of this edition is Sue Aitchison, the producer is Pat Needham, and your readers are Carol and David Gooderham. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. £20 million pound leisure centre will deliver a healthy 75 jobs.
0: It's like they're taking money out of my own purse.
1: Towns, villages, and unsung heroes scoop top awards.
0: Powers to fight ASB renewed by councillors.
1: A £20 million pound new leisure centre on the edge of Bury St Edmunds will create more than 75 jobs. The David Lloyd facility off Sandlands Drive on the Marham Park estate is due to to open next year. The developer Countryside announced the completion of the sale of land to David Lloyd Leisure. Planning permission for the facility on the 2.01 hectare site was approved in July and residents were in favour of the proposal with one telling West Suffolk Council that it appeared to be one of the few things left that would deliver on the original plan for Marham Park. The David Lloyd-Berry St Edmunds Centre will include a gym, heated indoor and outdoor pools, exercise studios as well as indoor and outdoor tennis and padel courts. Stuart Caswell from David Lloyd Leisure said Marham Park is a fantastic development easily accessible for the whole of Bury St Edmunds and surrounding communities. We are delighted to be part of its promising future. Our broad range of premium, family-focused health and wellness facilities appeal to people of all ages and life stages, and we look forward to welcoming the local community into the club in 2024. The facility, although not linked, comes as West Suffolk Council announced plans to shelve its new leisure centre, and instead refurbish existing premises in Beaton's Way. Work on the David Lloyd facility will start later this year. A company spokesman confirmed it represented a £20 million investment and would create more than 75 permanent jobs. Countryside is part of the Vistri Group. Martin Leach, Managing Director at Vistry Major Project, said, We are very excited to be welcoming David Lloyd clubs to Marham Park. The start of work on site marks a major milestone and will significantly improve the health and wellness facilities and wider offering at the development. We look forward to seeing the next stages of construction unfold over the coming months.
0: A Bury St Edmunds business owner has seen an increase in people attempting to shoplift and says she takes it personally every time her town centre shop is targeted. Suzanne Cooper, owner of the Parsley Pot in Abbeygate Street, said she had seen a rise in people attempting to shoplift since the pandemic ended. Before she installed CCTV cameras and employed more staff in May, about £200 of stock was stolen every month. However, each week Suzanne and her staff are having to deter thieves. Items which have been taken in the past included jewellery, jelly cat and male egg children's toys. Since we reopened after Covid, we were super busy and that all seemed to be going well and then in the last six to eight months it has got increasingly worse, she said. I take it very personally. It's like they're taking money out of my own purse. To tackle the problem, Suzanne said she displayed products differently, alarm-tagged items and rotad in more staff, particularly at weekends, which were added expenses for the business. But she said a bigger police presence and prosecution would also help deter thieves. That deters people if they see police officers walking in the street. We have had slightly more presence. We do prosecute, we've got cameras so we have prosecuted two people before but it's very hard because you have to give the police every bit of evidence. Chief Inspector Andy Pursehouse of Suffolk Police said there has been an increase of late, although it's difficult because of the COVID effect because during COVID we saw a decline. It is on the increase but we're still not seeing those levels from pre-COVID. Mr. Pursehouse said shoplifting was an under-reported crime, but that the police were, were taking a proactive approach in tackling the issue. If shops do let us know when it's happening, then we can target those patrols in the right places. We will record every crime that is reported to us and we will investigate it. It's about a working partnership with business owners themselves, but also with local councils, the business improvement districts to try improve security and cctv in the area
1: individuals groups and charities were honored at an award ceremony which celebrates community efforts in suffolk after 162 nominations were put forward for this year's suffolk community awards 15 winners were crowned for accolades including event organizer of the year town and village of the year Youth Club of the Year and the Outstanding Contribution to Volunteering Award. The event was held at the Food Museum in Stowmarket and was hosted by Community Action Suffolk, Suffolk County Council and Suffolk Association of Local Councils. Cockfield was crowned Small Village of the Year and Jan Cutting-Keaton, parish councillor and vice-chairman, was pleased to see the village win. She said... We're absolutely delighted to have won the award recognising Cockfield as such a special place. Community cohesion matters to Cockfield and it is marvelous that we have been able to show what we as a village do to make ours a community to be proud of. Individual winners of the night included Jean Evans who won the Ian Campbell MBE award, Rosie Bell with the Andrew Towers award and Kelly Bennett won the Outstanding Contribution to Volunteering Award. Large Village of the Year went jointly to Kessingland and Thurston, and Sudbury scooped the award for Town of the Year. Coddenham was crowned the most active village, and Councillor Ian Shipp, Mayor of Mildenhall High Town Council, accepted the award for most active town. He said... The award is in recognition of Mildon Hall's increasing participation in physical activity and it highlighted events such as our fabulous park run and the junior park run, our new skate park and play areas along with the increase in activity at The Hub. Other winners included Red Lodge Lightwave, Compassionate Companions, Kesgrave War Memorial Community Centre, CYDS, Young People Taking Action, Inspire Team, Naomi Morgan, Keith McDowell and Alex Warne. Axon GNS and Ipswich Junior Parkrun core team.
0: Several antisocial behaviour and street drinking orders have been renewed across the district following public consultation by West Suffolk Council. Public space protection orders give local councils and police forces greater powers to tackle antisocial behaviour. They allow officers to act in a range of situations. These include confiscating alcohol from those who are threatening, stopping antisocial use of vehicles, and prohibiting dog walkers from taking their pets into certain locations. Councillor Donna Higgins, who's Cabinet Member for Families and, com- and Communities, believes these orders are important to help people feel safe around the town. She said, the problem is the way alcohol is used and public space protection orders are designed to make sure it is used responsibly and with respect to those around you. Antisocial behaviour can have a damaging impact on people's lives. It can leave people feeling scared and vulnerable. That's why we work with partners such as the police to address these issues. Some of the locations where public space protection orders are in place include Bury St Edmunds, Newmarket, Brandon and Haverhill town centres. The decision to renew them was reached alongside deliberation on the council's cumulative impact assessment policies. These have been in place since 2008 in Newmarket and 2014 in Bury St Edmunds to limit business expansion where there is a high density of licensed premises, including pubs, clubs, restaurants, off-licences and hotels.
1: Two organisations took to the streets over the weekend to protest the possible return of nuclear weapons to RAF Lakenheath. Six members from the Campaign for Nuclear Disarmament attempted a citizen's weapons inspection at RAF Lakenheath and Bury St Edmund's Quakers held a silent witness on Saturday. It follows speculation that the base could host the first US nuclear weapons in 15 years. The purpose of the CND's Day of Action was for members to conduct a search of the base to see whether nuclear weapons are being housed there. Communications officer... Padraig McCarrick said, Nationwide, we had a Lake and Heath Day of Action, so our local CND groups were in their communities having stalls, events and protest rallies to raise awareness. We're arguing that it's not just an issue for the people of Suffolk or East Anglia. This is a British is- issue. Later on in the day, 25 members from Bury St Edmunds Quakers gathered on Angel Hill to hold a silent witness. They gathered for 30 minutes from 2.30pm.
0: Police were called after several members of the public disrupted a full council meeting. The disruption at West Suffolk Council's meeting in Berris Evans happened when some individuals failed to comply with the guidance given by the council chairman, Councillor Roger Dicker, during the public participation part of the agenda. One of the individuals addressed the council over a myriad of of topics including climate scepticism, COVID-19 vaccines, the cost of living crisis and the school's systems approach to sex education. The man said it was like banging my head against a brick wall. The disruption started when, after exceeding the five minutes he had been allocated, he and uh, and another member of the public began to talk over Councillor Dicker and walked into the middle of the chamber, yelling out their concerns once the microphones were turned off. A suspension of the meeting was issued and all councillors were asked to leave the chamber while the police were called. The group, which included several other members of the public, left peacefully over 30 minutes later.
1: The first steps have been made to prepare the site of Bury St Edmund's new hospital. West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust is moving about one hectare of fungi from Hardwick Manor, which will be home to the new multi-million pound hospital. The work is part of the Trust's ecology compensation and the fungi is being transferred to a site with identical soil, DNA, to conserve it. Plans for a new, larger West Suffolk hospital were given the go-ahead in November. It is needed as the current hospital was built in the 1970s and has structural defects associated with the RAAC, which is reinforced, autoclaved, aerated concrete, used in its roof and walls. It's expected the current building would not last far beyond 2030, and government funding was gained to replace it under the new hospital's programme – with a commitment to have it built by 2030. The Trust said that it is working to finalise the details of its outlined business case and is working with West Suffolk Council as the planning authority to secure full planning permission by the end of 2024. At the annual members meeting of the West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust Dr Ewan Cameron, Chief Executive of the Trust said an enormous amount of work had gone into ensuring the hospital was safe. Showing the audience photos of the RAAC at the building in Hardwick Hardwick Lane, Dr Cameron said a significant programme to maintain safety had been undertaken by the Trust. I would like to reassure you the building is safe, he said. Other issues raised at the meeting related to pressures the Trust is facing in relation to waiting lists, and an increase in the number of patients accessing accident and emergency services. Jude Chin, Trust Chair, said that attendances to accident and emergency were significantly higher than before the pandemic, but the need for other services had returned to normal levels. The audience asked questions about hospital transport delays and how disabled adults are cared for by the Trust. The meeting featured talk from Dr Ankit Mathur, consultant paediatrician, who explained how community services work together to meet the long-term needs of disabled children in Suffolk.
0: The fate of the multi-million pound leisure centre project in Berris and Edmonds has been decided once and for all. The decision to cancel the Western Way project was reached during West Suffolk full council meeting after a lengthy debate which included concerns from all parties. Councillor Cliff Waterman, the leader of the council, said the decision to scrap the development of a new state-of-the-art leisure centre was the least risky option. He added, The project involved involved taking a loan over 40 years and a lot of assumptions which may or may not come to fruition. What we're doing is securing leisure services for West Suffolk for the foreseeable future. This is good news. Perhaps the eye has been taken off the ball in terms of maintenance, but we can bring it back into very good condition. The initial plans for a new leisure centre predicted an, in, an initial cost of £39.7 million, which would, over 40 years, reach a total of £58.2 million. This is in comparison to the £62.8 in total costs accrued over the same time for minimum refurbishment. Councillor Waterman and those who supported him felt the risk of borrowing during the current financial climate was too great to continue. To save costs during economic uncertainty, the Council agreed to carry out essential maintenance to the existing centre. This will be within the existing uh, a budget of £724,000 a year, as well as looking for grants and additional funds. and will extend the existing leisure centre's life by 10 years before further consideration must be paid. The detailed breakdown of the essential maintenance works and their costs, however, is still being formulated by officers. Councillor Susan Glossop of Risby Ward said, to patch and repair the current ledger centre and to somehow fund a new build in 10 years' time will all cost the council. The greatest cost is to our residents and the future generation. This decision will come back to haunt West Suffolk Council for years to come. Although several councillors who supported the scrapping of the project referred to the decision as being made with a very heavy heart, they remained resolute.
1: A recent spate of vandalism has seen a Stowmarket town councillor speak out over graffiti which, she says, could snowball if left unresolved. The wave of graffiti appeared in the town between Friday the, August the 11th and Saturday August the 12th and much of it was in bright red spray paint. The Town Council and Mid-Suffolk District Council combined forces to clean the tagged road signs, bus shelters and traffic bollards. However, Town Councilor Heather Salmon believes more is to be done to prevent the issues from spreading. She said it's such a sad, sad thing to see happen in your town. It's just a disgrace and it's one of those things that can snowball if we don't nip it in the bud. We want to keep the town looking nice for all the lovely people who live here. I really don't understand what they get out of doing the vandalism. We're taking a stance on this as we really want to stamp out this kind of behaviour. Following the string of graffiti, Suffolk police identified two teenage girls involved in the crimes. One of the girls will face a diversion training programme, which PC Stefan Henriksen said would show the young person that there were consequences for her actions. He said the idea is to work with the young person to divert them away from any future criminality. They will be talking about the consequences of actions and just trying to get the young person to not do it again. Stowmarket Police are continuing to investigate and have asked anyone with information to get in touch. The issues were also discussed at the full town council meeting on Wednesday, when town clerk David Blackburn explained the reasons why the council could not remove the graffiti without permissions in place. He said, The fact is it is in such high-profile places is regrettable, and the difficulties we face now is that some of the graffiti is not on our land. As a town council we will do what we can, and we have removed it from our own sites but without obtaining waivers from property owners we would we could be seeing some of this graffiti staying for potential years the town clerk went on to discuss the good neighbour scheme which was set up in 2015 to help residents remove overhanging hedges mend fences and clean and clean off graffiti the scheme sets out to promote civic pride and serve the greater good by taking action to resolve community issues
0: A young woman has raised concerns over high school children vaping after witnessing this in her hometown. Stacey Smalley, who's 27 and is herself trying to quit smoking with the help of NHS services, says she has seen secondary school students aged 15 and over vaping in Bury St Edmunds Town Centre, including at the bus station. She says this is an issue that must be addressed speaking out of concern for young people's health and has added her voice to calls for single-use vapes to be banned, a move the government is reportedly planning to make. As someone who is passionate about tackling litter, Miss Smalley is also worried about the environmental impact from disposable vape rubbish. She said, I'm concerned about young students' health from using single-use vapes and littering their vapes when they're finished. She added, I think head teachers should go through students' bags to see if there's any vapes in there, as so many young school children are vaping. The government is reportedly planning to legislate against single use vapes because of concerns over children's health, after calls from councils, leading pediatricians, and public waste c- campaigners. In the UK, vapes, or e-cigarettes, can only be legally sold to those over 18. But the government has concluded the products are overwhelmingly aimed at children who can then become addicted. Councillor Andrew Reid, who is the Cabinet Member for Public Health and Public Protection at Suffolk County Council, said, The Chief Medical Officer's uh, guidance on vaping is clear. If you smoke, vaping is much safer. If you don't smoke, don't vape. Marketing vapes to children is utterly unacceptable. Suffolk's Tobacco Control Alliance works in partnership to prevent people from starting to smoke or vape, support people to quit, and to protect people from illicit tobacco vapes and underage sales. More than 5 million disposable vapes are thrown away every week in the UK. The charity, Work East, is visiting university campuses in a bid to raise awareness of the environmental damage caused by these devices.
1: Work has started on a £12.8 million affordable care village development it will see 54 homes built in a West Suffolk village. Housing 21's extra care development on land off Heath Road in Thurston will provide one and two bedroom departments and two bedroom bungalows for older people with on-site care for residents if and when they need it. Residents will have the choice to rent or buy their property through shared ownership and there will be a range of communal facilities, including gardens, a health suite and an activity room. There will also be a cafe and hair salon open for wider community use at the site. The development, in partnership with landowner Thurston Relief in Need Charity and with grant funding from Homes England, aims to address the shortage of specialist housing for older people identified in the Thurston Neighbourhood Development Plan. Peter Smith, Construction Project Manager at Housing 21, said, We are excited to work with RG Carter to deliver this new Extra Care Court in Suffolk, and I'm confident it will be a flagship development of this type, showcasing the very best that Extra Care Living has to offer. James Wilson, Director and General Manager at RG Carter, said, We look forward to developing a safe, comfortable and enjoyable community for its future residents. Keith Towers, Chair and Trustee at Thurston in Need Charity, said, This project will provide much-needed specialist accommodation for older members of our community and beyond. TRIN Charity would like to thank Housing 21, and in particular Peter Smith, for their considerable efforts in bringing this project to fruition. Christopher Dashper, Chair of Thurston Parish Council, said, The project brings significant added value to the local community. And we congratulate the efforts of all involved to bring this project to fruition. The scheme is forecast to open in the spring 2025.
0: A community leader has voiced his hope that a landmark West Suffolk building is restored from its derelict state after it was revealed that it will go under the hammer this year. Haverhill Corn Exchange will be auctioned off by Auction House East Anglia in November, with a guide price of 150 to 200, pounds to £200,000. The Grade 2 listed freehold property, which was last used as a community hall and was granted permission to become a restaurant or bar in 2007, is described as an excellent redevelopment opportunity. Joe Mason, who represents Haverhill Kangle on Suffolk County Council said the Corn Exchange is an important part of Haverhill's heritage it is appalling that the pre- that the previous owners have allowed the building to remain unused have little or no meaningful work done and leave it in a derelict state for so long it is high time we have someone take on this building who can restore it to its former glory The iconic building is around 2,300 square feet with a 700 square foot basement and boasts a ceiling height of 30 feet. In 2017, then, St Edmundsbury Borough Council stepped in to prevent the corn exchange from falling into further disrepair with an urgent works notice served to the owners. Mr Mason added, The people of Haverhill are immensely fond of this building and I have had many inquiries over the years to see what could be done. I am pleased that it has come up for auction. Whoever takes this on must now treat it with the care and respect it deserves, so that we can all enjoy it for many years to come.
1: And now we have some letters. And the first is from Dr Edmund Fordham. He's the Reform UK's constituency spokesman for West Suffolk. It's headed delay won't make scheme any safer. So the Seneca decision has been deferred to December. Delaying it won't make it better. Nick Timothy, Matt Hancock MP and Lucy Fraser, MP for East Cams, all know that Seneca is a bad idea. Their problem is the Tory party supports projects like Seneca through its ruinous net zero policies. The Prime Minister has even promised to fast-track such projects. As energy supply, Sunica makes no sense. There isn't enough solar energy to be had, and it doesn't work when needed, like at night or in the winter. The annual average power from Soneca will be a derisory 67 megawatts. At Sutton in the Isle, in Lucy Fraser's constituency, the Elian power station delivers 38 megawatts. Occupying about four football pitches, most people don't know it's there. Burning agricultural straw waste, it is even carbon neutral, which Sonica isn't. Another alien could generate more than Sonica without batteries on a tiny fraction of the square miles of green fields otherwise trashed. If you must have solar electricity, there's enough south-facing commercial rooftop across the country for 230 Sonicas, without harming one blade of grass. The real reasons for Sunica are the giant batteries, among the largest in the world, with about 15,000 tonnes of chemical. Batteries don't generate any energy, they only store it. With too much unreliable wind and solar on the grid already, battery operators can buy low, sell high, and pocket the difference. But there's a colossal safety issue. Any time you have huge amounts of energy in a small place, it will do immense damage. If it breaks loose and goes on the rampage, the chemicals are capable not only of fire and explosion, but of generating a witch's brew of toxic gases, smoke and poisoned water. Putting so much so close to homes, schools and protected wetlands without regularity overnight is beyond irresponsible. No wonder they refused to tell us how big they'd be for so long. As an independent in South East Cams in 2019, I was the sole parliamentary candidate in either of the Sunica constituencies to have taken a clear stand against it. To me, with 40 years in the energy sector, it was an obvious disaster. If Ms Claire Coutinho, only weeks in the job, read Pencil's Sunica, it won't be because of the local opposition the environmental destruction, and certainly not because Mr Timothy says it's a bad idea. It will be because she's scared of being humiliated in the courts. And the local campaign has been writing and writing to file the evidence. I've submitted 71,000 words on the safety of the giant batteries. They won't get any safer by Christmas.
0: And this letter is from Audrey Naylor of Ipswich, and it's headed, (coughs) excuse me, Election Opportunities. I read Paul Geater's article, Could General Election Be Next May, with interest. I could not find a comment on the Liberal Democrat Party in Suffolk Coastal, the tactical and now viable alternative to the Conservatives in that constituency. People are fuming about Therese Coffey's complacency on sewage mismanagement. Glancing at her her voting record, it appears she flip-flops, for example, on same-sex couples' right to marry, on an elected House of Lords and on remaining in the EU. I was affronted by her statement in 2021 when she was Secretary of State at the DWP. We will not be reviewing anything to do with the state pension age in response to the WASPI campaign. And for those of you who maybe are like me, I didn't know what WASPI was. It's Women Against State Pension Inequality. However, the Ombudsman has been investigating maladministration for five years. Complaints cases are still open. A WASPy woman, a uh, is every 13 minutes, researched by Satish Estates. I believe we need a flash of integrity in government. Under Boris Johnson and adviser Dominic Cummings, Britain lost 17 government ministers in a Valentine Day massacre. Amber Rudd named the situation an assault on decency and democracy. In 2022, a mass of MPs resigned. Three cabinet members have departed Rishi Sunak's cabinet. It's not normal. I could go on. Suffolk Coastal must be a Lib Dem opportunity. They're co-running the district after all, I hear.
1: And here's a very short letter from P. Lang of Oldham, entitled A Case of Priorities. Can anyone explain why Anglian Water wastes our money on TV adverts when we have no choice of supplier. Would it not be better spent avoiding endless sewage leaks, polluting our rivers and sea?
0: And uh, the next letter is from Phil Thompson, who's the CEO of Balance Power, which is a renewable energy developer. The heading is PM's Climate Policies U-Turn. Rishi Sunak's U-Turn on Climate Policies is allegedly to support hard-pressed families. But I ask the Prime Minister, what benefit do these policy changes bring to hard-pressed families now or in the near future? Over the last 18 months, renewable energy has kept costs to consumers significantly lower than if we were still fully dependent on fossil fuels. The government should be subsidising renew- renewables, not earning money from them. The electricity generator levy is forecast to raise around £14.2 billion between 2022 and 2028. The reality is the cost of generating renewable energy is coming down. Electric cars are getting cheaper and charging infrastructure is improving. There is no short-term benefit to, to cutting climate policy. Sunak is condemning the children of the UK to breathing dirty air for longer and tying us to volatile fossil fuels even further into the future.
1: And Andrew Stirling from Chelman has written... Paul Goethe, in his article on September the 21st, sees but one advantageous side of possessing or housing nuclear weapons, which rather goes to show, it appears to me, that the narrower one's views, the more logical and reassuring it seems. Which is why we are in such terrifying danger from their very existence. This is what I found online in the, at the BBC. All told, there have been at least 22 alarmingly narrow misses since nuclear weapons were discovered. So far, we've been pushed to the brink of nuclear war by such innocuous events as a group of flying swans, the moon, minor computer problems and unusual space weather. In 1958, a plane accidentally dropped a nuclear bomb in a family's back garden. Miraculously, no one was killed. Mishaps have occurred as recently as 2010, when the United States Air Force temporarily lost the ability to communicate with 50 nuclear missiles, meaning there would have been no way to to detect and stop an automatic launch. Perhaps Mr Geeter might like to think again.
0: And uh, this letter is from Barry Peters, who is the uh, editor of the Berry Free Press. And the heading is How Our Working Week Continues to Evolve. There was a time when many office jobs were just that nine to five and weekends with the family a sweeping generalization but true to some degree wind forward to our post-covid world and things are very different driven by technology and desire the advent of email brought with it many advantages but it's a double-edged sword how many mums and dads are distracted more than once by a ping on a phone or laptop, I wonder. And the place we work has changed too. We've had a couple of stories in recent weeks of staff working for decades in one place, loyal to one employer, another today spending five decades with his firm. I can't see that happening in years to come, with house prices, the need to earn high salaries to meet ever-spiralling mortgage or rent payments, and the desire to have the shiny new thing seen on social media all high on people's agendas. It's a far cry from the 20th century, and employers are the ones to miss out. The experience and knowledge which staff bring to the workplace when they've been there for a number of years isn't easily replaced. And not all the hashtags or Instagram posts in the world can replace it.
1: This next letter is from John Bailey. He lives further afield in South Yorkshire. And he says Brexit can't be made to work. The UK has and is progressively losing many of our younger generation due to Brexit. Figures suggest over 500,000 UK subjects have since applied for Irish citizenship in order to regain the benefits and freedoms of the European Union. Many, many others have sought to regain their European citizenship by applying to other European nations for same, these people are, or were, invariably educated, talented, and productive members of our younger UK society. Such loss is just one of the reasons for the sad decline of the UK since Brexit, and probably will prove to be one of, one of, if not the saddest of them all.
0: And this letter is from Mrs. G. Wall from Ipswich in the. Heading is taking pride in our country the English people should be ashamed having just come back from a trip to Australia where everyone seems to take a pride in their beautiful country where everywhere is so clean no litter everyone is polite even just saying good morning as you pass in the street and smiling to land in England to litter everywhere grumpy people made me feel ashamed of my own country. And before someone says, the weather is better, it wasn't. It was cold and wet, so don't make that an excuse. We have a very beautiful country with so much history and a lot to be proud of. Please, if everyone did their part, made an effort to keep our streets and towns tidy and smile, please, I love the UK, but not what it is becoming
1: a regular letter writer Graham Day from Stowmarket says memorable concert was held at the apex on what eventually turned out to be a very stormy night we traveled into Bury St Edmunds for a concert by the illegal Eagles a tribute band to 1970s band the Eagles at the apex I can recall concerts at the former corn exchange but now the apex is a superb and well-managed arts facility it was nick mason the drummer with cambridge's finest band pink floyd who once said of tribute band the australian pink floyd saying they were probably better than we were nowadays tribute bands recreate well-loved songs from previous years with real attention to detail the illegal eagles were so professional in their approach skill and mannerisms it was easy to imagine that founding members, Don Henley and Glenn Frey, were still on stage. Having been performing the Eagles songs for around 25 years, the Illegal Eagles were excellent. All the hits, including Boys of Summer, Lin Lin Eyes and Take It Easy, reverberated from the rafters. What was the encore? It could only be Hotel California. This was a small step in their career, but a giant step in the world of tribute acts. All too soon the concert was over and we emerged into the darkness and into the eye of the storm. A really memorable night.
0: And the next letter is from Sheila Jeffrey, who is chairperson of the local fundraising group for Marie Curie. And her letter is headed, I'm proud of this fundraising team as Chairperson of the Barry St Edmunds Marie Curie Fundraising Group, I am very proud of my wonderful team of seven of seven having won best community group category of the very Free Press Community Awards, which was sponsored by Cathedral Dental. Fantastic. What a team! I am proud of each and every one of you since twenty twelve we have raised. £121,808, funding 672 nights of nursing care and support when our patients and families stroke carers need it most with one-to-one nursing care. However, this was also made possible by our team of dedicated collectors in and around Bury St Edmunds and as far as Newmarket and District. Plus, I thank the very generous public for all they give year after year. Thank you, everyone.
1: A letter from P. Lang from Oldham. P. Brained Pylon Proposal. With reference to the excellent piece by Chris Hill, State of Nature 2023, in September the 28th edition, our policymakers and National Grid stroke off Ofgem in particular, need to pay attention to this. Their thoughtless, pea-brained proposed pylons project could well be the last nail in the coffin of the East Anglian environment and agriculture. How do we get them to listen? Not only will wildlife stroke food security be brought under threat by 112 miles of pylons, but, as has been shown by recent events worldwide, we meddle with nature at our peril. The natural world in Britain is one of the most depleted in the world, and it has to stop. We need to preserve the environment for our own good. National Grid are ignoring the cheaper, quicker and better option of a coordinated grid under the North Sea.
0: And the final letter this week is from Janet Douglas of Framlingham. Uh, The letter is entitled Political Failings. With a general election looming... Is a Conservative Party a-destroying themselves? We have suffered a number of poor Prime Ministers over the last few years. People are suffering enormously, just affording to live. And now plans made are being changed when the country isn't prepared for the world ahead.
1: And now we have two features, and the first is looking back with Martin Taylor, a year of mixed news. The census 1921 in Bury St Edmunds confirmed the tragic depletion of the population through the consequences of World War I and the Spanish flu pandemic, as numbers fell from 16,785 recorded in 1911 to 15,937 a decade on. Bury and its environs were still reliant on agriculture, but this year saw a terrible drought, so bad that the River Lark by Eastgate Bridge dried up. The influx of cheaper foodstuffs from the USA also affected the prices farmers could get for their products. This situation continued until the outbreak of World War II. 1921 saw the inevitable slowing down of production of flax for linen for aeroplane wings at the Berry Flax Factory, and it shut down permanently a couple of years later. Perhaps the major connection to World War I was the unveiling of the war memorial on Angel Hill by General the Lord Horn in the form of a Celtic cross, the names of the fallen recorded in a book of remembrance held in the cathedral. There were also deaths of notable people in 1921. On February 28th, Dr. Henry Bernard Hodgson died. He was the first bishop of the newly created 1914 Diocese diocese of St. Edmundsbury and Ipswich. Also mourned this year was George Jerry Milner Gibson Cullum of Hardwick, a cultured man, mayor in 1913, who had the foresight to ensure his wonderful collection of art and books were bequeathed to Bury St Edmund's Council, though his home, Hardwick House, was demolished in 1925 through an entailment clause of his step-grandmother's will. Not all was doom and gloom, though, as Berry saw the election of its first woman councillor, Eva Wollaston. Eva Wollaston Green, wife of solicitor John Wollaston Green. She would later become the town's first woman mayor in 1927. Another town asset was the swimming pool built at the playfields off Kings Road. It would remain there until 1975.
0: And the next feature is features uh, Mark Cordell, who is the CEO of our Bury St Edmunds and he shares an update on new businesses in the town and forthcoming events. Bury St Edmunds has a well-deserved reputation as the foodie capital of Suffolk and the hospitality sector is set to welcome more new arrivals soon. I'm delighted to see that the prominent building on Abigail Street that most recently housed Bill's, is to continue as a restaurant, the Indian Street Street food chain Mowgli is moving into it and has been actively recruiting its new team. Food from all corners of the globe can be found in Berry, and soon to join this mix will be a new Mexican restaurant, proposing to open in Risbygate Street, which will be some good news for the street after sadly losing Wilcove. This variety of food and drink offering particularly complements the annual Our Berry St Edmunds Food and Drink Festival which took place over the August bank holiday. The bars and restaurants that showcased their offerings on the stage were the stars of the show and thousands of people attended across the two days. The Urban Beach was another highlight at Ark Shopping Centre and keeping it in place for a further week provided some free entertainment for youngsters in the days before their return to school. This is now a major event on the calendar and brings people from far and wide who we hope then return to enjoy some of the places they've seen as part of the festival. For a couple of weeks during October our Bury St Edmunds will once again be running a Halloween trail in conjunction with our partners at Loyal Free which runs the app for the town centre. This will be a free fun family experience leading up to Halloween and a perfect activity to enjoy during half-term. And then, dare I say it, people's thoughts will start turning to Christmas. We will, of course, have the Our Berry St Edmunds Christmas Lights event in November and there will be numerous other activities in the weeks leading up to the festivities. The Christmas in Berry St Edmunds experience will offer something for everyone, and is provided by a number of partner organisations, of which the Business Improvement District is one. The fund will include a synthetic ice rink in Charter Square, and we're delighted that ARC Shopping Centre and Bury St Edmunds Town Council have partnered us at the bid to bring this fabulous free attraction to the town centre.
1: Now we return to some more general news. The owners of a popular Barry St Edmunds coffee shop are bidding farewell after 13 wonderful years. Jessica Darnell and Lucy Newell, who run the coffee house in Lawson Place on the Morton Hall estate, will say goodbye to customers today. They will now be focusing on the coffee house at Moseley's Farm in Fournham All Saints, which they have run for five years. Chef Baker, Danny Curd, who runs Quality Eats, will be taking on the Morton Hall premises. Jessica said, we've been there for 13 years and it's absolutely wonderful, but we just want to put all our eggs in one basket and focus on one place. We just feel it's time. We know Danny, who's an absolutely fantastic and talented chef baker. She's very passionate and believes in all the same stuff we believe in. Asked about their favourite memories from their time at Morton Hall, she said they'd hosted baptisms, wedding parties, hen nights and Christmas parties. It's been an exciting and amazing time and a really wonderful experience getting to know the community and making so many friends, Jessica added.
0: It was a new beginning a year ago for the owners of a Felixstowe tea room after bouncing back from a devastating fire at their beloved uh, business. Jill and Ian Booth opened Nutshells by the Sea on September 29th last year after their beloved business in Stow upland burnt down at the beginning of 2022. Mr Booth said, When our Stow upland tea room burned down to the ground, our first instincts were to rebuild it, but it was just going to take too long. So we decided to open a place in Felixstowe, as we live close by in, in Trimley. People who knew us from Stow upland started visiting us in Felixstowe we've received so much support from the community the couple prepared a chocolate birthday cake to celebrate the first anniversary and are already looking out to preparing a big celebration for their fifth birthday mr booth added we couldn't be happier we are just going to continue enjoying it the tea room was warmly welcomed to hamilton road in felixstowe in september 2022 and has been buzzing with a good atmosphere and delicious snacks from the day of the opening. Nutshell's tea room in Stowe Upland burned down on the thirtieth of January 2022, with twenty-nine fire appliances attending the scene. The tea room was lost to the blaze and had to be demolished as only twisted metal and charred wood was all that remained the day after the blaze.
1: The Ark Shopping Centre has collected more than 140 items during a supermarket sweep for a food bank. The grocery-themed event to help Gatehouse Food Bank offered more than 60 children and their families the chance to experience the excitement of the classic game show. Participants had 30 seconds to locate and collect items on a shopping list. To make it even more exciting, some came with small prizes or donations to Gatehouse, and some had both. The centre also organised a food hamper raffle competition, with one winner taking home a hamper filled with Suffolk goodies, with an identical one being donated to Gatehouse. For those who could not make the event but would still like to contribute, there is a food bank collection point for Gatehouse located inside the Apex.
0: A vintage ploughing match was held near Berris Edmonds last weekend in memory of a farmer. The H and D's Ploughing Weekend in Barton Bottom took place over Saturday and Sunday. It kicked off with an exhibition of various heritage and retro tractors, and then drivers then took part in a traditional ploughing competition featuring a number of categories. The match is held annually, but this year's edition celebrated the life of one of its founders, Henry Castle, who died in July. In all, 38 tractors took part, with around 150 members of the public attending on uh, uh, both days. Proceeds from the event are being donated to St Nicholas Hospice Care with £220 raised. Organiser Don Sapsford said, been a bit of a learning curve organising it because Henry always handled the paperwork before. In the end the public response was very positive and the Castle family have been so supportive. There was a high standard of workmanship from the competitors and the winners were awarded with a cup and a shield.
1: Children learned how nature can inspire music during an amazing visit from a string quartet. Pupils at Rattleston's Church of England Primary School near Stowmarket enjoyed performance by a string quartet from Suffolk Philharmonic Orchestra. Suffolk Wildlife Trust also went along and spoke to the children about the skylark and Suffolk's natural habitats. Head teacher Helen Ballam said this helped the children link music with nature, recognising how nature can inspire some compositions. The children were totally captivated and thoroughly enjoyed the experience, which for many was the first time they had experienced live classical music, especially of such a high standard. Comments from pupils included, I really enjoyed it, it was really amazing how they played so beautifully.
0: St Edmundsbury Cathedral has announced a top UK diplomat as this year's Edmund lecturer. Dame Barbara Woodward the British Permanent Representative to the United Nations, will deliver the address on October 20th. Her talk will focus on the parallels between the Magna Carta and the UN Charter.
1: Plans have been drawn up for seven homes on the former site of a school. Suffolk County Council has submitted an outline planning application for the former Stanton Community Primary School and Nursery in Berry Lane, Stanton. The proposal is to build seven detached and semi-detached homes and to form new vehicular access to Berry Lane, along with associated parking.
0: Ahead of a new production of Sweeney Todd at the Theatre Royal, the cast visited West Suffolk College to learn from real barbers. The show, which opens in November, includes a shaving scene, and stars Mark Kerr and Steve Murray were keen to brush up on their skills with a blade. Hairdressing tutor Oliver Norman and student Vincent Lockwood were at hand to instruct the pair.
1: Visitors from a German special school recently came to Bury and were given a tour by local guides. A group of 40 students and carers from Wittgenhaus School in Elkdorf were shown the sights by Berry tour guides John Saunders and Peter Levantis. Witchin House is a boarding school for physically disabled people. The group were accompanied by interpreters and the tour was described as a success by the guides.
0: The most expensive villages to buy a house in Suffolk have been revealed, with Thorpe Ness on the coast topping the list. The county has many lovely and historic towns offering easy access to the countryside or coast. But estate agent Savills has complied data from the land registry to reveal the ten most expensive villages and parishes to buy a home in Suffolk. The data has been based on data from the twelve months up to May this year, with an average average price of seven hundred eighty-two thousand five hundred. Thorpness has been named as the most expensive place to buy a home in the county after 11 sales. In 2022, Great Barton was revealed as the most expensive village to buy home in Suffolk, with an average house price of £546,000. Peter Ogilvie, who is head of residential sales at Savills, said, These figures are averages, so there are bound to be a few exceptions. One or two large sales can skew the numbers, and I think that that has to be taken into account. The data also only looks at villages where there have been 10 or more sales in the past year. There may be some places, Walberswick being an example, where average prices are higher, but sales have been conducted off market, so the figures are not currently available. That said, I don't think there's too many surprises. All of the villages are very well served, surrounded by wonderful countryside or close to the coast with pubs, local shops and a good sense of community, alongside quality housing stock, access to highly rated schools and a good broadband connection. Thorpness, Snape and Raydon are all prime villages on the Suffolk coast, close to the likes of Alborough and Southwold, two of our most popular seaside towns. Several other villages on the list are on the doorstep of Berist and Edmonds, offering a lovely rural setting, yet close to lots of great amenities and several good schools. Nayland with Whissington is in the heart of the Dedham Vale, which is always popular, while Cavendish and Fressingfield are great rural locations.
1: We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty in playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglin Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Sue, Pat, Carol and David, it's goodbye. Goodbye.
0: Listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Barry St Edmunds studio.